powerful word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I love the word of God. And I love you. And if you haven't hugged them today, reach over there and hug them. If you've already hugged them, just tell them that's too bad. You're not getting another one. Okay. You don't have to repeat that. (laughs) All right. We are in the third chapter of Nehemiah. You ever been uh, in the title today is don't be paralyzed, get organized. You ever been in a group of people and everybody seemed to know everybody's name but your name? And how uncomfortable that is? Because they'll go around talking to, hey, Sam, hey, Cherry, hey, Don. And then they come to you and go, hey, 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 brother, sister, you know. That's what we do in the church, right? Hey, brother, <laughs> And uh, I remember one time we we were we tried name badges, name tags at one time here, and uh, that got a little tedious to do week in and week out. But uh, somebody said, "Well, I don't want to go up and introduce myself if they've been here a lot." I said, "Well, if you don't know their name, isn't that the best way to find out their name?" Well, I'll be embarrassed. I said, "Oh my goodness!" But sometimes we're that way. But but. Hearing our name in a group is really an important part of it. We want to be known. We want to at least have somebody know our name. God knows our name. And we're going to, in this chapter, this is one of those hard chapters to read because it's got a lot of names that you can't pronounce, first of all, unless you have a thesaurus with you or something. You know, some Bible, Greek, Hebrew scholar who can pronounce these names for you. Some of them are hard to, hard to pronounce. But God never forgets those whose names he knows. And Isaiah says that he has all of our names written in the palm of his hand. Wow. In Revelation it says he has our names written in the book of life. Now those names get there for, you know, there's a way you get your name in there. And there's a way your name doesn't get there. But you want to make sure your name's in there. Because when it's all said and done, you want your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, if you, you want to live like the devil and, and run a risk, go ahead. You, know, you can jump in the 11th hour, but you're the one that's losing out. So I would encourage you to jump in now. But the reason I say all that is because I want you to understand that God knows who you are and who I am. And as obscure as we may be, He still knows who we are. And cares deeply about us. In fact, uh, you know, we, we hinted on that this morning about how the body fits together in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. It talks about how the body fits The hand can't say to the foot, don't need you. <laughs> the eyes can't say to the ear, don't need you. Can you imagine not having a sense of smell? Man, I love it. When the south wind blows and I can smell the fries frying at McDonald's. Glory to God. Why do you like the fair? The smell. Of course, you, you know, you eat certain things every year when you go to the fair, right? 
but you love the smell. What is it about a barbecue? Smoking meat outside. You smell it. You haven't even eaten it yet, but you smell it. And if it smells good, it's got to taste good. Amen? So, the body works together. No member, no person is any less important than the next one. I may be old and feeble, but I'm just as important as that young buck who can run a mile, you know. We're all important. We all have value. How do I know we have value? Because Jesus hung on the cross for every one of us. We got value. He knows us. We all need each other. We can't say, I don't need you here. Yeah, we do need you here. Well, you don't dress the way everybody should dress. Well, can you define for me in the Bible where it says how we're supposed to dress? Oh, I didn't see that one. So, Okay. Well, you don't comb your hair right. Can you show me a spot in the Bible that tells me that my hair should be parted on the right or the left? And it should be slicked down or not? No gel? Yes gel? There's some who said, I'd love to have gel. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You got, what, what's the old phrase? Uh, you know, God, God loves everybody. And with some, he covers up their head because it's so ugly. But I don't, I, I don't know how that works. But anyway. Some bald-headed person's way to show they're significant. Sometimes you just you don't want to have hair anyway. It's in the way. And the older you get, the less is there. Then it starts turning gray. So the only people who can come have gray hair. Well, if you don't have gray hair, you can't come. You sit in a chair, you sit in a pew. Well, you sit in a pew, it's more godly. It's also harder to get in and out of. Bill Twilly. He's with the Lord now. wonder what he'd say. <laughs> I remember Bill saying when the, when the Baptist church went to the chairs instead of pews, he said, I don't like it. I said, why? He said, because they used the back of the pew to get up. I said, well, Bill, touch the guy's shoulder in front of you. Have him turn around and grab you by the hand. He'll help pull you up. He said, that'd be better than the pew doing it. It's funny how we think. But our minds, our thoughts have to progress. And we need to have lives of quality that God will bless and God will be honored with. In fact, Second Peter 1, 5 through 7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be doing. So, let's go to the third chapter of uh, Nehemiah because it's important that we read the word of God together and I'll read and you follow along verse 1 Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt uh, and rebuilt the sheep gate they dedicated it and set its doors in pal- in place building as far as the tower of the hundred which they dedicated and as far as the tower of Hananel and the men of Jericho built and adding an adjoining section. And Zakur, the son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of uh, Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of uh, Hekaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, 
son of Berechiah, the son of Meshachabel, Meshachabel. Man, that one I roughed it. It took me a long time to get made repairs. And uh, next to him was Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, uh, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Then uh, the Jeshana gate, or old gate, was repaired by uh, Jehoiada, and son of Paseah, and Meshalem, son of Besodiah, the Ayah. They, uh, see, I'm having fun with these two. They laid its beads and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah and uh, Malithia of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uzeel, son of uh, Harhiah, son of, <laughs> I feel like I'm in China, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. <coughs> and let's just go with the H-man. And the H-man, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Uh, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next session. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of uh, Harimoth, made repairs opposite his house. And uh, Hattush, son of Hasabaniah, made repairs next to him. Uh, Malchiah, son of Haram and Hasab, son of Pehath, Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Helohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. <coughs> so we got women involved here. Then you got the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They built it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malachijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, and uh, he rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kol-Holzath, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, the ruler of the half-district of Beth-Zur, made repairs up to a post uh, up to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, um, or next to them, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Uh, beside him, Hashabiah, son of half the district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen under uh, Benui, son of Hinnadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zebai, uh, jealous, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance to the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of uh, Hakoz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to its end. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region beyond them. See, preachers got involved. They, they, uh, they, beyond them, Benjamin and Hasab made repairs to in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Anahiah, um, 
made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benai, son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of guard. Next to him, Pedadiah, son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made the repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Emur, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Sekaniah, uh, the guard at the east gate made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalphath, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshalem, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. May God bless the reading of His Word today. Amen. Aren't you glad I didn't call on any of you to read this this morning? Now, we're going to look at the gates, but before we do that, let me give a quick summary of what we just read. And there's three or four key points I want to make about establishing uh, principles of working together. Principle number one. All people were involved in this project. The whole city itself was, uh, was built back. The walls were built back in 52 days around the clock. I don't know why road construction crews can't work around the clock and get these roads done. They get one section done, then they go and tear up nine others and put up cones everywhere. That should have been our new license plate is an orange cone. Instead of that phony looking bird that's on there, which is our state bird, but anyway. But you see, the important thing is that the ministry of the church in the world today belongs to the congregation. It's not one or two people that get it done. It's not the paid staff that get it done. We all get it done. And if we're all working together, great things will happen. Amen? But if we don't, Great things won't happen. So, again, in verses 1 and 2, Eliashib, the high priest, his fellow priest, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate, dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of Hundred, which dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho uh, built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. But I want you to notice in those two verses, everyone was involved. Everyone was involved. The priest began the work. It's okay for preachers to get down and get dirty and work. Amen? It's okay. I have a preacher hammer. At least that's what I've been told. I have a preacher hammer. Because when you look at the head of my hammer, it's not marked up in any way. Which means that every time I swing for a nail or whatever, I miss it and hit a flat object instead of the nail. So I have to go boom, 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 boom. So my hammer is always smooth. Because normally it's hanging in my, in my uh, 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 belt and not really pulled out much at all anyway. I remember several years ago trying to repair the, uh, uh, put a uh, uh, water purifier thing. You just screw on the faucet. Well, it didn't work. So I thought, okay, I need a pair of pliers and it'll work. So I put the pliers to it. Turned on the water and man, did we have water. 
but it wasn't going through the filter. <laughs> so one good brother pulled me aside and said, Preacher, put his arm around me. He said, Preacher, won't you let us do this stuff and you just preach, okay? So, but I, I, I think working and preachers working is a good thing. So when we have work days, we should all be out in the midst of the flower beds and digging up the weeds and cutting brush and doing those things, right? We should all do it. We shouldn't wait for one to do it. Let's all do it. So we're going to have a we're going to have a work day before too long. There's still there's stuff that just needs to be done, and it's more than one person can tackle. So let's let's all come and get involved in that. Then verse twelve says, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repair the next section with the help of his daughters. I love the fact that that verse is included. I, I just love that, that that's included because you see, everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. So girls can build walls. Girls can cut wood. Girls can do that. If you don't believe it, put a saw in their hand. Sometimes girls need a hammer. They need to work out some of that frustration. I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't like him. That's a great way to get that frustration out. And the bigger the hammer, the more frustration you can get out. Let's get them a 10-pound sledgehammer. Wear them flat out. Amen. Verse 16, as far as the artificial pool in the House of Heroes. That's an interesting thing, too, the House of Heroes. In San Antonio, is an organization called Bible Study Fellowship. And it's an organization that holds men's and women's classes all over the country and around the world. They, they built in San Antonio a series of apartments, which they call the House of Heroes. And it's used for all the volunteers who come and devote a week, two weeks, sometimes six or eight weeks, even several months to help out in the work that this ministry is involved in. And they've named, and it saves the organization thousands and thousands and tens and thousands of dollars a year. But they call it the Heroes of Faith, House of Heroes. That's where they live. Isn't that awesome? That's what we need. I know churches that have houses that have been given to the church, and they use them as missionary furlough houses. So when a missionary comes home from furlough, they allow them to live in that house with no rent, free of charge. And the church even puts food in there for them so that they can survive and come home from mission field and rest. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you know, in, the, in our list today, in this chapter, there's list after list after list of volunteers. And, and they, they, just, they were engaged and they were getting the work done. The, uh, there's a little jingle that goes like this. The pastor is late. He's forgotten the date. And what will, be, what will the people do then? Poor things. They'll sit in the pew with nothing to do and sing a collection of hymns. Poor things. You know, what happens if the preacher doesn't show up? Well, you have record attendance and you baptize people and bring in more money. That's awesome. That's awesome. You guys tell me every time I'm gone, you don't need to rush back. We've got a great preacher going on. We've got several of them in here. It takes me to the second principle of, of working together, and it is, is that they worked together. You'll see phrases throughout this chapter, next to him, next to them. In verse 5, it says the men of Tekoa, their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. You see, God even recognizes and records those who goof off. You might think those co-workers who don't do anything, who still get paid a good salary for not doing anything, don't you think that God doesn't notice that? He also notices in the church that people that just talk a talk but never walk the walk. He sees you. He knows you. He's got you down by name. <laughs> That's the most important part of the whole process. 
as he knows what, who we are, he knows what we are, and he knows the intent of our hearts. So wouldn't it behoove us to do what God's called us to do instead of playing games? Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan the residents of, and the residents of Zenoa. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. Notice the word also. They exceeded their allotment and then they went on to help somebody else. They repaired the wall 500 yards, 500 yards of wall. That's a big section of wall. They did that. They didn't want to stand around and watch others. They said, is there work to be done? Here we go. Let's get involved. Let's do some more. And folks, when God needs to rebuild us, you need to get off your duff and you need to start doing more. Third principle. Working together, they work near their homes. In verse 10, Jedediah made repairs opposite his house. Verse 23, uh, certain men made repairs in front of their, their house. Uh, Azariah made repairs beside his house. Verse 30 mentions a man by the name of Meshalem, son of Berechiah, who made repairs opposite his living quarters. When his house was where he was staying while he helped rebuild the wall. You see, people were looking for ways they could work, things they could do, get their hands involved in. And folks, there is always something to be done. Always something to be done. There's paint. We have new signs out front. And we need to paint the signs now because they're really, they're, it's obvious. You know, when the paint peels, you've got to paint it. So we need to paint them. So who will bring a brush? We'll buy the, I'll buy the paint. We'll buy the paint. You bring the brush. You bring the labor. You put it on. Do I have a hand? All right, I see one. Praise God. <laughs> the important truth that emerges is that God has a design for ministry, and that design is all of us strategically placed in His heart, in His heart in our hearts, doing the work of ministry. You know, work of ministry can be changing a light bulb. We had three men who've gone completely through this building and put in different types of lighting, rewiring the uh, uh, fluorescent fixtures to save money. They did the labor and put in new bulbs that will last us longer and the, and the cost will be more efficient to run them. Three men. Isn't that something? What about... The flower beds, it's getting to be spring. All of you getting your flower beds at home getting ready? When do you start doing that? Is it too early? Too early, okay. Well, don't worry about the flower beds then. Let them go. There is something you can do, so come on. I guarantee you there's something you can do. Fourth principle, working together, is that each one completed his assigned task. See, and that's very important. If you're assigned something, go do it. Go do it to, with excellence and finish it. Don't start it. Finish it. Start it and then finish it. Okay? That's what's important. Finish it. I mean, you don't start the mowing the grass and then quit. Finish it. Oh, it's hot outside. Finish it. Responsibility. I learned this years ago. Responsibility is always the mark of spiritual maturity. Anybody can say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm dedicated to the Lord. Well, put legs to that. Anybody can pray. Put legs to your prayer. Remember when we used to go on these mission trips? We'd go down to El Paso and go into Juarez. We went, we'd go into the Anapra, the Anapra area of Juarez. 
And that's where ISIS is, by the way. ISIS has a stronghold in Anapra. Wow. We used to be there and working. Boy, it got real. It became real obvious who was going to work and who wasn't. Who kept looking, what time is lunch? What time is lunch? My favorite missionary story from this church is the first year we went, and the missionary there built us an outhouse to go to the bathroom in. Normally they just went outside and found a bush. Even the girls. At least he had the courtesy to build us a little hut to get in. And there was a toilet sitting in there. And never will forget, one of the girls came out and she goes, Brother Harold, I said, what? I said, I couldn't flush the toilet. I said, did you lift the lid? She goes, yes. I said, was it in the bottom of the stool? She said, no. I said, where did it go? She said, I don't know. There was nothing under the stool. That's where it went, in the pit that they had dug. She said, that's nasty. I said, better than you being wide open out in the country here. See, our city girls didn't quite understand, did they? So, responsibility is the mark of spiritual maturity. Most mature members in a church are those who stay with the work that's been assigned them to do until it's done. Anybody can start and walk away. It takes maturity to finish what you start. In your walk with God, don't quit Him now. Don't stop now. Keep working for for the day is coming when the Lord will return and He's coming to get those who are faithful to Him and have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. We need to be about the business of finishing what we start. So let me quickly go through the gates because they're they're really they have a a real connection to us. The first gate is the sheep gate, also known as St. Stephen's Gate, also sometimes called the Lion Gate. Stands in the north northeast corner of the city. Uh, this is Nehemiah's uh, in Nehemiah's Jerusalem. It's called the Sheep Gate, and it was there. And it was in that gate where the sheep were brought to be sacrificed in the temple courts. That's where they were kept at the Sheep Gate. And so that gate represents Isaiah fifty three seven as the sheep before its shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. It also represents John one twenty nine. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sheep are there. And are therefore a symbol of sacrifice in Scripture. And we need to understand that that gate was where they were kept. You and I need to find the cross in our walk with God. If you're going to get in and have a Christian life, you better first of all find the cross with which to find Him. Amen? Then you've got the fish gate. The fish gate is the fishermen from Galilee and the coast would bring their fish into the city. And this is the gate. The only gate they'd come through. And it reminds me of Matthew 4.19. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus is telling the first four guys. Peter, Paul, James, John. Throughout the Old Testament, fishing is a symbol of witnessing to others. Of the necessity of acknowledging that you belong to Christ. You witness by your words and then you follow those words by actions. So we are to be witnesses. We are to be fishers of men. You want the church full every Sunday? Then you've got to start fishing. You've got to start fishing. A preacher asked a high school kid when he, uh, who had been to summer camp, he said, how did you get along as a Christian there? He said, oh, they never found out I was a Christian. <laughs> so that's what happens to us is that we don't want anybody to know we're a Christian because then they're going to expect us to act a certain way, and we can't act a certain way. We can't be a certain way. We can't listen and laugh to some of those stories because Christians shouldn't do that. 
Then there's the Jessenai gate or the old gate. Represents old ways of truth versus the new illusions of error. Someone has said as ask for the old path, ask for the good way and the walk therein in Jeremiah 6.16. Somebody has said this phrase, if something is new, it's it's not true. If it's true, then it's not new. How do you know a politician is lying to you? You got it. How do you know a teenager is lying to you? Same thing works. Bustle up and bristle up. Go ahead. It's easier to tell the truth because you don't have to remember who you lied to. My sons learned early on, if you'll tell me the truth, the punishment won't be nearly as severe than if I find out you're lying, I'm going to come back and do it again. And do you again was not a hug. Then there's the valley gate in verse 13. Valley valley in Scripture always represents humility and judgment of conceit in our lives. John Stott, great Christian writer, calls humility that rarest and fairest of Christian virtues. 1 Peter 5.5 says it this way, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humility is a tremendous virtue. Always use that as a characteristic in your life, no matter what you're doing, what you're involved in. God applauds humility. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. One of the reasons many people are so restless today is that they never learn to be humble, to be meek and lowly of heart. They're always pushing for the next big thing, next big thing, next big thing. Just sit down and relax and take it easy. Then there's the dung gate in verse 14. <laughs> That's a great gate. You don't have to wonder about what's at the dung gate, do you? It's the gate of elimination. All rubbish and corrupt things in the city were brought to the garbage dump in the Hinnom Valley outside of Jerusalem. It is necessary to have elimination in your life. Amen? Because if your body doesn't eliminate enough and backs it all up, not going to make you a healthy body. And how they get it out is not any fun at all. I didn't know what an enema was. Couldn't pronounce it. Until my mother introduced me to this nice young lady named Enema. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 7. Cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Cleanse yourself. One of the reasons many people are unable to function as God wants is because they seldom use the dung gate in their life. They don't eliminate the stuff that's causing corruption and ruin. Those are the private areas. Those are the hidden areas. Nobody knows about them. And Boy, we're going to keep it that way. Because I can appear to be Casey Christian over here even though I'm Dolores Devil over here. Verse 15 is the fountain gate. That's the end of the, at the end of the pool of Siloam. Speaks, of course, of the fountain springing up. When you think of fountain, you think of running water, rivers of living water, John 7, 38, which come from, uh, from believers and come from within uh, the Lord in us. It also is referencing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be a flowing stream of life flowing through us. It ought to be obvious, man, when they see you that you got the Lord in your life. 
Wow, wow, look at that. You can look in their eyes and see it. You can see the power of the Lord. You know when they're struggling, but yet you also know when they're rejoicing. And even in the midst of their struggles, they're still rejoicing. Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, Keep being filled with the Spirit. And you'll notice it comes immediately after the dung gate. <laughs> in the, when you're going around the city, you've got the dung gate, and then you've got the fountain gate. Because after corruption is cleansed away by the consent of the believer, then the cleansing of the Spirit can wash clean. So see, when you come to the cross and you get on your knees and you call out to God for cleansing, for healing, guess what? The Spirit's going to come right after that. He's going to come and bring a moment of refreshing, a time of refreshing in your life. It's what we need. Verse 26, the water gate. It was located at the spring of Gihon where Hezekiah's tunnel begins. Chapter 8, we learn that it's the place where Ezra read the law of God to the people. Because you see, the water in Scripture is a symbol of the Word of God. And the interesting thing about this account is that they did not repair the water gate. It did not need repair. Just like the Word of God does not need added to or taken away from, the Word of God is whole in and of itself. Leave it alone. You preach it, you read it, you live it, and see what happens. See, we've been trying to do it the other way for how many years? How did our country get in the shape it's in? How did the Christians in this country get in the shape they're in? Is that they tried to rewrite the Scripture and make it say something that it's not. It doesn't. Sin is sin. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. Well, we've got to be compassionate and loving. Yeah, we do. But on Judgment Day, there's not going to be a lot of compassion and love. You had time for that You've made your decision. There's a consequence to pay. Sorry. That's why the Bible says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because people will be so sorrowful. The Word of God will stand on its own. Matthew 4, 4, Man does not live by bread alone, also by every, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Down to verse 28, the horse gate... A horse in, in, in Scripture is always a symbolic of a battle. Of a battle. And so this gate should remind us that we are not in a picnic. We are not on a cruise. We are on a battlefield. We are under attack every day. Every day we're under attack. Mind, soul, spirit, eyes, ears, nose. We're always under an attack. You've got to be ready to fight the fight. You've got to be ready to fight the fight. I never thought in all of my days as hot as Aaron uh, uh, Aaron uh, Rodgers has been in the quarterback position at, at, at Green Bay right through the playoffs, man, they were just going to go all the way until they met Atlanta. And Atlanta figured out a way to shut them down. Wow. Wow. They did, didn't they? Houston had the number one defense in the nation in the football league, National Football League. Went into New England and made look like pups. I'm just saying to you, we're in a battle. How did those teams do that? They prepared for the battle every day and they're ready to go. Ready to go. What are you preparing for? You getting time for daily devotion? You getting time to meet with God? You getting time to pray? You working that in? Are you fitting that into your schedule? If you're not, you better be. 
Your marriages will get better. Your child rearing will get better. Your children will become more obedient. Well, they're obnoxious now. Well, okay. And you get into the Word of God and find out a way that you're supposed to work with them, and you'll find out they might change. They might. I've often think of that great hymn Isaac Watts put together, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Nay, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by Thy Word. The horse gate. Ready for battle. Because we're in a battle day by day by day. The ninth gate, the east gate, verse 29, today is called the golden gate. It's on the eastern side opposite the temple. It faces the rising sun. You know, that gate speaks of hope and expectation. Every day when the sun gets up, you've got a new day. Amen? It goes down. It's nighttime. You're sleeping and you wake up. The sun's up. You've got a new day. Let's make it happen. Here we go. We can do it. Put your feet on the floor. Here we go. How? Let's go. Let's do it. We can run this race. We can win this battle. We can fight this fight. Let's go together. Let's do it arm in arm, hand in hand, one heart, one mind. Let's go. Amen, amen, amen. You see, that east gate tells us God's glory has yet... We're waiting for Him. That glory is yet to come. He walked through it once. He's going to come back. Every day when you go to Jerusalem... When you go on a tour of Israel, they'll go by Jerusalem. They'll go by the eastern gate every day to see if the Messiah has come through the gate. You mean to tell me the Messiah would go through that gate and you wouldn't know about it at nighttime? He's already been through that gate. But the Jews sealed it up waiting for the Messiah to come through. Well, guess what? On Judgment Day, what gate's he going to enter? The eastern gate. <laughs> Luke 21. When you see all these things coming to pass, lift up your heads and rejoice, for your redemption is drawing near. We ought to be like tea kettles. Even when they are up to their necks in hot water, they're still singing. They're still singing. Then the last gate, verse 31, is the inspection gate. It means the appointed place. The book of Hebrews, and that's our memory verse for this week. Hebrews 9.27 It's appointed unto men once to die and then after that is judgment. After that's judgment. The reminder is that we must give an account of our journey. Ken Rhodes used to say die once to live uh, die once live <laughs> born once to die twice or born twice to die once. Born once to die twice, or born twice to die once. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Everyone shall receive commendation. We're going to stand before God, and He's going to tell us. He's going to talk about our life. The sheep gate stands for the cross, and it's mentioned again right at the end. The sheep gate stands for the cross, and the cross must be at the beginning. And at the end of our life. We must start with the cross. And we'll be clinging to the cross when they take our breath that last moment. And if you can do that, you're going to have a, a winning, winning life. Great hymn of faith, the way of the cross. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss.
I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime where the soul is at home with God, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. So as we've gone around the walls of Jerusalem, each gate instructing us with a part of our life that needs to be maybe rebuilt, reconnected, reconstructed. May we not forget the words of Nehemiah and also Peter to repair these gates and help ourselves become all that God intended us to be. Pray with me, would you please? Thank you, Lord, our Father, for this great truth. We pray that the Spirit of grace will make these gates real to us. Point out those areas that need to be worked on in our lives that we may enter into the full security and safety that you have for us. And God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.